0: You are tuned into The Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of The Dr. Tina Show, well, I'm throwing down. I am so tired of talking about COVID, but I'm going to make this last episode, and then we're putting this to rest. I will preface this by saying all of the predictions that I made, which I really can't call predictions because they were just based on basic sciences that anybody who was paying attention in first-year medical school would have understood, came true. And we have all the data and studies at this point to support that. So I'm going to share with you what I said early on in the pandemic, what I have been trying to express the entire time, and then I'm going to tell you how the studies have backed this up. I'll make sure to make some of these studies available, but they're too countless to even recall. For that, I'll send you to my Substack that you can find the link in the show notes where you can see all of these topics have been covered in separate blog posts for the most part, not all of them, but most of them. And you can see all of the studies and data there on each blog post. But I'm going to tell you the myriad of ways that you have been lied to throughout covid and why I am calling bullshit on all of this. So let's take it back to the beginning. A virus comes out of China mysteriously. It's linked to a wet market where they think it came off of some kind of mammal, right? The Pagolin or Pangolin, I can't ever pronounce it correctly. Well, all right, jump from a bat to this animal and it got to humans, perhaps. But interestingly, early on in the pandemic, I was alerted to something called a furin cleavage site. And this furin cleavage site was present on the SARS CoV 2 virus, and it is how it's part of the spike protein. It's how the uh, spike protein binds the human cell and gains entry. From what I understand, please correct me if I'm wrong, this furin cleavage site doesn't exist in nature on any other coronavirus. So that made me say, hmm. Then they told us it was in droplet form. And I was like, well, that's interesting because if you look up coronaviruses pre-2020 and you studied any virology or you pull out any of the virology medical textbooks like the ones I have, which can't be altered at this point because they're not digital, it says that coronaviruses are aerosolized. They are just like other upper respiratory viruses. They are aerosolized, meaning... If you got in an elevator and there was somebody in there prior who had COVID and they sneezed or coughed, that particulate would be suspended in the air and you would walk in and you too would be exposed to it. And then there was this great debate about asymptomatic spread or not. And I think that that's a really erroneous term and it caused a lot of division and confusion. There is a pre-symptomatic spread. I, there's no other way that a virus could get around if it didn't be if it wasn't harbored in the host while the host was walking, let's talk about viruses for a second. They don't want to kill their host. They want to spread. Their ability to sustain uh, longevity is to spread. So they need to get to the next host. And now you're not going to go near somebody if they look like they're on their deathbed, right? You're going to be like, whoa, no, thank you. And most mammals won't either. They will. A sick mammal will isolate itself and all the other mammals will stay away from it while it's convalescing, (laughs) trying to get better. So there's a period of time there for a few days where you might be rocking something, like say the flu, for instance. You might be walking around with a mild headache or maybe you don't have any symptoms whatsoever and you're like, huh, I feel a little off. Maybe Maybe I'm a little sweatier than usual. I don't know. You know, we've all had these things happen to us and we don't know we're sick right away, right? It's not until a day or so later when we're like, oh, I feel like crap. I think I'm sick. I should probably isolate. So there was this whole to-do about symptomatic spread, asymptomatic spread. I think that just blurs the reality, which is there's pre-symptomatic spread. And you've all had this happen. If you have kids, you've taken your kids to a birthday party and... The mom calls, little Johnny's mom calls the next day and says, oh, I'm so sorry to let you know, but little Johnny came down with a fever last night. And lo and behold, your kid gets sick. You might get sick. Some other kids at the party end up coming down with symptoms, everybody's sick, right? So that's what, that's how this works. So, that whole argument was like, it just was beating a dead horse constantly online, especially. People were like, it's not a real thing. Asymptomatic spread isn't a real thing. It's like, yeah, no, like, learn to, like, the nuance is in the middle, and people just don't like nuance. The next thing that I thought was really interesting was the fact that they never mentioned in therapy that there was anything to be done. And we could argue ventilators all day, but Here's just common sense. When a patient presents to my office or any office, the standard of care for anyone with an upper respiratory infection is regardless of whether it's viral or bacterial in nature is to assume a secondary bacterial infection will potentially occur. So if you walked in with a really bad case of influenza, I would probably give you an antibiotic just to cover you. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I don't like giving antibiotics. I don't want to go to naturopathic hell, right? But if you have a secondary infection or potential for infection, I am going to write you a script and you can take it home and use it if you need to. But I'm going to make sure you have coverage in case you start coughing up green goo. The other thing that I would probably do, because once the immune system gets activated, and I'll I'll talk about that a little further in a moment, once the immune system gets activated and it decides to freak out, we need to have some kind of anti-inflammatory mechanism on board. And that would be in the form of some kind of steroid. That might be an inhaled steroid. That's a, a preference that some doctors like. It might be in the form of an oral steroid. But usually when somebody's got a really bad cough and it's viral, I give them some kind of antibiotic for secondary bacterial infections and I give them some kind of inhaled steroid. So there's that piece. And that was never talked about. That was never even mentioned as a potential therapy and on and on. They went in circles in the hospitals, supposedly being overran. That's a whole other story I'm not even gonna get into. But because as... Some of you may or may not know, ICUs actually always run at capacity. That's how hospitals make their money. So I was getting reports from ICU doctors and nurses from all over the world from the beginning. I had a very unique view of COVID in that I was online. I was one of the very, very few in the early days that were standing up against this tyranny. Uh, We had others come on board later. Thank God for them. We needed backup. But I'm telling you from the beginning, I was questioning this and my account grew rapidly and I was getting notifications from healthcare workers all over the world about what was really going on. And straight up, the people dying in the ICUs were obese and diabetic, almost 100% across the world. And secondarily, all ICUs run at capacity in most countries because that's how, especially in the United States, that's how they make their money. So they'll move people into ICU just to keep them full, even if somebody's not necessarily in need of it. And I heard reports of that from hospital administrators who were coming into my DMs talking to me and, and doctors who were actually performing the ventilations, et cetera, that they were seeing patients who were not COVID or were positive or were not necessarily um, in danger of dying being sent into ICU. This episode of The Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. My number one selling product is easily relaxed tonic. What is relaxed tonic? Relaxed tonic is an innovative powdered drink mix that reminds me a whole lot of the cherry flavored Kool-Aid I drank as a kid. Only this Kool-Aid won't brainwash you and might actually help you make better decisions. It contains a blend of ingredients that promotes a relaxed mood by supporting the body's natural neurotransmitter balance and neuronal stabilization. It contains the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, supports hormonal balance, healthy blood pressure levels already within normal range, and healthy glucose metabolism. Relaxed Tonic aims to promote a calm, relaxed, well-balanced emotional and physiologic state. While I can't make any specific health claims tell you how to dose it or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of the Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Relax Tonic by using the code RELAX10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and be sure to use code RELAX10 for 10% off. The other big question that, you know, we don't have time to really get into and explore is PCR tests were not made as diagnostic tools the way that they were being used. And a cycle threshold is how many times they'll run the, they they culture out the virus and then they run cycles on it to get it to show up. And normally a cycle threshold, from what I understand, is like 25 to 30. Uh, COVID tests were being ran at numbers like 45 cycle thresholds. So you could have... You could have, uh, I mean, you could have anything show up and it would be COVID positive at that point. It's just crazy. Like the whole testing thing was a complete fiasco. And you can look further into that. I'm going to give you tidbits because we don't have all day. I'm going to give you tidbits of things. I hope you'll look into them further. The other thing was whether you died of COVID or with COVID. And very often people were telling me and we were seeing it across, even in news reports, right? That somebody would go in with cancer, end-stage cancer, they were dying anyway, and they happened to have a positive PCR test, which we now know is fairly flawed, a fairly flawed way of diagnosing, and they would be listed as a COVID death. And so you're seeing the COVID deaths Skyrocket! You're seeing the case numbers skyrocket. That's how you induce fear in society. And then the fear conditioning that happened very early on was just so dramatic and ridiculous. I mean, even, even before things really took off when we just had a few cases happening in Kirkland, the fear narrative by the mainstream media was anybody who understands propaganda could clearly see it. If you couldn't, if you were hooked to your television and riddled with fear, I'm sorry, but get better at noticing propaganda. Hopefully you have now. All right, so we have a couple things that early on set me off and thought made me think, hmm, this isn't right. We're not being told the truth. The other thing was that I was hearing reports that it was in the water prior to early 2020. So um, there were waste management facilities finding this in the United States prior to 2020. That didn't get a lot of airplay. And we have studies coming out all throughout the pandemic, including recently showing that there are antibodies that folks had antibodies in 2019 all over the world, there were people showing antibodies to this particular virus. So I don't think it just mysteriously appeared on our shores in early 2020, but that's when we really let fear take off, right? So the other part that was very clear early on that nobody was talking about is that COVID is clearly at its core a vascular disease. So if you've got a vascular disease at its core, there's a couple things like going back to the steroids for instance that might be helpful in mitigating that and there are other things like aspirin and some of the other basics like fish oil things that would help quell an inflamed vascular system that nobody was talking about in fact we weren't allowed to talk about anything i was i was given notice by my lawyer week 1 to not say or speak anything about any supplements online and to tell all the doctors that I was coaching in business and marketing the same because the Department of Justice specifically in Oregon, I don't know why Oregon came down so hard, but the Department of Justice in Oregon was actually opening investigations on any Oregon doctors who were talking about any claims of prevention, treatment, or cure. So talking about how to make a host more resilient and healthier I guess, was the same as talking about prevention, treatment, or cure. That's the difference between naturopathic and allopathic medicine. If I'm trying to give somebody zinc to lower viral replication of any virus, and I'm trying to give them vitamin C and zinc to work in an anti-inflammatory and a um, collagen-supportive mechanism, and I'm giving somebody fish oil to calm down their vascular system, uh, and so on and so forth, that is me actually helping the patient be more resilient to withstand anything, including those potential secondary bacterial infections. But according to the Department of Justice and the FTC that got involved, that was prevention treatment or cure. And then there was the obvious censorship that was happening very early on online. And if you weren't an online influencer who was actually producing content daily on several platforms, you wouldn't have noticed it. And so I got a lot of pushback and a lot of people accusing me of nonsense. That wasn't true because I could see that the censorship was happening in real time. So I was trying to move everybody to my email list, which I still encourage you, if you have not yet joined my email list, I encourage you to do so. I've taken a bit of a break for summer because I just needed a summer off, but I am going to be resuming, sending out awesome, hearty emails soon. And I hope that you guys will join my list because that's the only place I actually own my following, if you will. I don't own anybody on these secondary social media platforms. And so they can, they can destroy us at the drop of a hat, which they were. And then it became very obvious to me that there was censorship happening when. I started watching my friends get their heads cut off on social media and getting their accounts pulled for nothing more than posting a study of how vitamin C might be helpful. See, we know in the naturopathic community how to help people who are suffering with any kind of viral infliction or any kind of assault on their immune system, by supporting their immune system, by supporting their resilience, by supporting their bodies to not freak out and to actually fight off what it needs to fight off. And yet my profession, oddly, did not come to the call. Very, very weird to me that the naturopathic profession did not heed the call. And then interestingly, we had key players within my profession suddenly early on saying how the vaccine, when the vaccine. Started getting uh, some t- some play that that was a great idea and we should all do it. I am curious who paid them off. Um, okay, so let's let's get back to the early days. They shut the gyms down, and we had very early reports coming out of China showing that diabetics, males, and smokers were who were getting hit the hardest. What do those three people? Those three groups have in common. Well, if you're diabetic, your vascular system's inflamed, guaranteed. If you're a smoker, your vascular system's inflamed. And if you're a male and you're not, and you are dealing with some blood sugar dysregulation, like, i.e., if your metabolic health is off, you're dealing with prediabetes. Let's just make that real clear. When I say metabolic health or poor metabolic health, I mean diabetes or prediabetes. So... If you're male and you're rocking some blood sugar dysregulation, you're really in a precarious spot in your middle age and older, especially if you're a smoker, because testosterone, when it's not going down the right pathways, will actually turn into estrogen, and then you will end up with vascular inflammation. And so that's why you see middle-aged men dropping dead of heart attacks, as is, more frequently than women, because of that testosterone component. That piece right there. Not, we don't want low T, but we don't want high T that's out of control or T that isn't going down the right pathways. It's, that's the kind of elementary version, but you get my drift. And so we were seeing folks with high testosterone get hit hard. That makes sense from a cardiovascular standpoint, cardiometabolic standpoint, and we were seeing diabetics. So I tried to, I sent a video out to the Instagram world and I said, hey guys, diabetics are getting hit hardest. You have full control of your metabolic health. We had a study at that time showing that only 12% of US adults were metabolically healthy, i.e. only 12% of US adults did not have diabetes of some sort. And we also had... Um, Another study just come out recently showing that's even worse than we thought. It's only about 6% of U.S. adults are metabolically sound. And again, when I say you're metabolically unsound, I am saying you have prediabetes or frank diabetes, and I mean type two. Those are all, that's all lifestyle induced. It's just a spectrum of problem. It's like you're pre-diabetic for however long, usually about 10 plus years, and then suddenly you're diabetic because your blood sugar's hit a certain level and there's the magic number on your labs and your doctor says, congratulations, you have diabetes. But the decimation of your vascular system has been happening for at least a decade right? So I just said that 94% of US adults are metabolically unsound. If you're not actively strength training, keeping your weight in check, eating a high quality diet and keeping track of what your inflammation looks like on labs, you're probably sitting in that category. And that might be hard for you to hear, but if 94% of US adults are sitting in that category, there's a very high chance, unless you're actively fighting it, that you too are sitting in that category. So I tried to get folks to understand that if you get your metabolism in check, which can happen very quickly, it takes about 90 days for lab markers to shift, but it only takes a few days for the inflammation to start to go down when you start making choices like cutting carbohydrates to a lower amount, especially just cutting out refined carbohydrates and cutting out high fructose corn syrup. And starting to lift weights. And you can go back and listen to all my many podcasts, including the one I did last, which is Muscle is Medicine, and you can listen to why I think strength training is non-negotiable. But I was trying to get folks to understand that this is all protective because of this key root cause being metabolic dysfunction or blood sugar issues. And we have multiple studies at this point now. In the game, showing that guess what, exercise is incredibly protective, and in fact, if you had been exercising, uh, you know, for two years prior to COVID hitting, your chances of even contracting it were significantly decreased. We have tons of studies, including a new one showing that the newest, the latest study showed that in vaccinated folks those with the highest blood sugars had the poorest outcomes were in the hospital the longest and were infectious for the longest amount of time i'll get to super spreaders in a minute but we have had all the data. We had the data on the influenza viruses prior to 2020. We knew how this worked and yet they shut down gyms and told you to do nothing. And everybody went on a, let's stay home and bake everything. Most Americans, including children, gained weight. The rates of diabetes skyrocketed. The, weight, the rates of obesity skyrocketed. So we're sitting in a much worse place than we were when that study showing that 94% of Americans were metabolically unhealthy. So I could say it's probably more like 99%, I would guess, that's just my guess. You see the problem and yet nothing was told to us. No health authority came out and said, hey, exercise, hey, build muscle. Hey, you might have prediabetes or diabetes, that's gonna make you more susceptible. Hey, if you're dealing with obesity, you're probably, I mean, I've never met a person with obesity who wasn't metabolically unsound, It eventually happens. Maybe if you're young and carrying a lot of excess weight, you might get away with it for a hot second, but we're seeing adult onset lifestyle diseases in children like crazy now in the United States and all over the world. So yes, we have a problem. Let's talk a minute about ACE receptors because that kind of all ties in. ACE receptors are what the virus binds to in the body. That's the main one. There's other ways it gets in, but that's the main one. And ACE receptors in the body... Simpli- most simplistically, they are there for a reason. They manage our blood pressure. They manage our fluid, but the renin-angiotensin system. But ACE receptors show up when there's inflammation present. It's a protective mechanism. So it'll, they will appear in abundance on a cell when that's when that region is inflamed, like your vascular system, or your Fat cells actually, fat cells have a tremendous amount of ACE receptors compared to other cells, lung cells. Any area that's inflamed will upregulate the ACE2 receptor and that ACE2 receptor is where the virus binds. So yet another reason to significantly work on decreasing your inflammation by doing all the things I always talk about. And then there's the cytokine storm that was happening. So these people would go into this severe cytokine storm. I want to explain that for a second. That is your immune system gone rogue. And it happens a few days after the onset of the virus. Usually that's why you were hearing about people decompensating around day seven to 10. They were fine until day seven to 10 and then they would just sort of melt. That's because their immune system was dysregulated from the get-go. The first arm of their immune system wasn't working against the virus. The virus itself likes to skirt around it. But if you're already dealing with low-grade inflammation and obesity, your immune system's probably jacked up anyway. And so it skirts on in, it replicates. By the time the secondary arm of the immune system g- gets some message that there is an invader in the castle, it freaks out. And that freak out is when the cytokine storm happens. There's nothing doctors can do when you are in the middle of a cytokine storm. Your immune system has gone bonkers. And essentially these folks melt. From the inside. That's what happens to them. Their organs pretty much get overran and turned to goo in the most simplistic way. And there's not much doctors can do. So, the folks demanding that doctors do something, it's not the doctor's problem at that point. It's the person's fault for letting their health get so completely derailed that they walked into the infection as a complete mess of inflammation, right? I'm not blaming anybody, but it's up to us as individuals to make sure that whatever we encounter, we can handle as best we can. And I get that there's different age variances and there's socioeconomic issues and there's racial issues, but The bottom line is if you're walking into something, a hot mess of inflammation, your chances of getting through it are pretty slim and none. And if you're walking in with no muscle mass, go listen to my last episode. If you're walking in with low muscle mass and high adipose tissue, which is fat cells, you're looking at a very, very challenging road ahead. These are also the same people who are most susceptible to long haulers. And so everyone demanding that the medical system do something about long haulers, it's like, well, maybe you should do something about your health in general, right? I suffered from long haulers for over a decade and it ruined my life. And I'll tell you, when I finally got my shit together, my long haulers seemed to go by the wayside. I'm not saying this isn't real, it's very real. It's very crippling, I understand. And it unfortunately leaves the person more fatigued and less able to tolerate exercise. But if you can crawl, you crawl, right? We do what we can, and I say this with complete love and compassion because I've been there and I've treated so many people with long haulers. We were gaslit for decades and we were told, it's called post-viral syndrome, and we were told it wasn't real and now suddenly it's all the rage because if they couldn't scare you with COVID that had over a 99% survival rate, then they had to scare you with long haulers right? And by the way, the studies I've looked at don't show that the vaccine protects you against long haulers in any way, shape or form. And in fact, might induce a long haulers type syndrome in some. So that's a whole other can of worms I don't want to open, but you see the point. So once the cytokine storm has started and once the person's immune system is going rogue and gone bonkers, there's not a whole lot that doctors can do to slow the roll except to load you up with steroids. Unfortunately, the steroids immunocompromise you so the virus can potentially even propagate more inside your system. You see the problem. You see the fine line and why so many people had such a hard time. So... Let's go to obesity here. And again, I preface this with love. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not shaming anyone. We are in a mess as a country. It's a devastating mess. I have been out this summer a few times to concerts, to state fairs, to different events, and oh my God. You guys, like humans are in an atrocious state. And I'm saying this as a medical professional, looking at them, everybody, it's just like watching diabetes everywhere. And these people have no idea. And the health at every size movement is not helping anything when they're going around telling everybody it's okay to be 50 pounds overweight. It's not okay. Your cardiovascular system says it's not okay. All right, I'm just telling you, your heart, your vessels, your kidneys, your lungs, that whole system is like, nope, not a good idea. And when you lose muscle mass because you're not adding muscle mass actively because you're not strength training, you actually, something that people don't talk about is you lose smooth muscle too. Sarcopenia, which is the act of muscle wasting is happening on all muscle levels. Those skeletal muscles, just one kind of muscle we have. Smooth muscles, another type of muscle we have. And smooth muscle is what makes your lungs work. It surrounds your organs. It's what makes things work. And without smooth muscle, if that starts to atrophy away, you're looking at decreased lung capacity. How are you supposed to fight off any kind of upper respiratory issue, right? I mean, that's just the most simplistic way to put it. So obesity in and of itself is an inflammatory state and fat cells secrete cytokines. So guess where these cytokine storms are coming from? From tissues that secrete cytokines. Guess what muscle secretes? Muscle secretes myokines, which are myokines are anti-inflammatory. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory. Obesity, the state of being obese, these um, adipocytes, That Your fat cells secrete what are called adipokines, and it's like walking around with a suit of inflammation on. And like I said, fat cells have higher ACE2 receptor counts, so you're walking around with way more ACE2 receptors than a lean person. And then there's the whole thing about how viruses act inside the obese body, and I've covered this in many podcasts in the past, and I did a whole uh, Substack blog about it. I think I've done two at this point. Obesity, we've seen from influenza, and I tried to share this early on and I got called all kinds of evil names, but obesity actually in the uh, influenza virus case of looking at studies coming out from 2019, in mice and humans, what we see is that obese folks carry higher viral titers, meaning more virus gets made in their body, so they have a higher viral count of course this makes sense now that you understand the increased ACE2 receptor issue and the increased inflammation, they carry more virus for a longer period of time, a significantly longer period of time, in some cases with influenza up to 42% longer, which all add those two things together and what you have is a super spreader. You have a highly contagious person. You have someone who is more likely to make others sick. And if you look up the term super spreader, that's a real thing. And you'll see the definition under super spreaders is generally folks who are inflamed and immunocompromised. I would say that somebody who is obese and deconditioned is inflamed and immunocompromised. And so there is a big problem there that nobody wanted to talk about. And there was literature coming out from the very beginning of COVID on this, the very beginning of the pandemic, and it just would get brushed aside and nobody wanted to publish on it. Well, we now have multiple studies, multiple, multiple, multiple studies showing that obesity is probably the biggest driving factor of poor outcomes with this virus. And then you hear about comorbidities, like heart disease, diabetes, kidney conditions. Guess what those are stemming from? The root cause of all of those is poor metabolic, health. Cardiometabolic health is your metabolism and your cardiovascular system tied together because they're intimately related, but poor cardiometabolic health at its root cause starts most often with obesity. Yes, it can happen to lean people too, but it starts most often in the obese state. And here's the part they didn't tell you. We have from those same studies in that same time period in the 2019 area and prior- we have studies showing that obese folks don't seroconvert well meaning they don't they don't take a vaccine and actually have a robust response like a lean person would they don't build an antibody response and a t cell response like a healthy weight person would So I tried to share this information early on saying, hey, if you're in an obese state, you probably have metabolic dysfunction and inflammation. And this makes you a bit of a sitting duck for this virus. Here are some things you can do. And you guys who've been with me know I've been beating this drum and this dead horse. But it didn't matter if you wanted to go the vaccination route or not. You weren't going to have a good chance of the vaccine working well if you weren't in good metabolic shape, and if you weren't less obese, that's just that's just the literature we had. That makes sense. If you look at physiology, um, I think the problem we've been having is we've got a lot of experts speaking on things that they don't fully understand because maybe they're a virologist, but they don't understand physiology very well. Or maybe they're a PhD scientist of some sort, but they actually don't have any clinical knowledge whatsoever and they've never seen patients and they don't actually know the standard of care. Um, Or maybe they are an MD who knows the standard of care, but they actually have never done any kind of functional medicine and they don't know how to do anything outside of that pill for every ill model. So we've got a lot of folks. I'm not saying I'm the expert. I just have an understanding of all of this to a large enough degree that I could put it together. And so when you saw me making predictions, it was really just based off of common sense of like how I understood medicine to work and science to work and physiology to work. I have a biology degree. I interviewed Dr. Stephanie Seneff, uh recently on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go listen to it. When we got off the call, she was like, you understand biology. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I have a bi- I, I was one quarter away from a biology degree when I actually shifted my major so I could get out of school and uh, just went full pre-med there and got graduated from U of O, which at the time was one of the 10 best bio schools in the nation. So yeah, I am a biologist in my core. So the studies recently have proven all of those concerns about obesity to be true. And those folks who suffer with the higher highest levels of obesity don't seroconvert well to this vaccine either. So the vaccine isn't working as well as it could if somebody were at a more healthy weight. And so our most susceptible are also the ones who the vaccine is working the least well on. And this has entirely been my argument from the beginning is... I don't care whether you want the vaccine or not. That's a whole other conversation for another day. You can read more about what I think about the vaccine over on my Substack behind some paywalls, but it doesn't matter being in good cardiometabolic health having your blood sugars under control not having high blood sugar levels not having hyperglycemia which is the official term for it is going to set you up for better seroconversion with the vaccine and it's going to protect you better hopefully and so what was this latest study that came out basically showed that those with the highest levels of glucose or uh, hyperglycemia even though they were like double triple vaxxed, had less protection they They were sicker for longer and therefore more contagious. And that's the big concern is we've got folks now who are highly vaccinated. I think their immune systems are a bit busted at this point. That's a conversation for another day. And they're remaining in the obese state and in the poor metabolic state. And so they are potentially the most infectious. And we have data showing this to be true, at least so far as the vaccinated are likely... um, And this is kind of putting together a couple different studies, but my hypothesis and my opinion is that the vaccinated folks are actually more contagious than the unvaccinated at this point, uh, considering what the vaccine is doing to their immune system. So yeah, I don't go hang out in crowds of super sickly people that are highly inflamed who are all vaccinated. I just don't, it's not what my immune system wants to do. There were several ways for us as holistic physicians to support the host, and we weren't allowed to talk about it. We were censored, and our you know mouths were digitally taped shut. Then there's the talk about the drugs, right? The drugs that might be helpful, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Well, they published uh, a study was just published showing the efficacy of ivermectin, and it's eye-opening. It is in my substack. You can go read it there. Um, Significantly better outcomes in those who used ivermectin than not. And it was peer-reviewed. It was double-blind controlled. It was the golden, you know, it was like the golden child of studies because everybody wanted their damn peer-reviewed, double-blind, placebo-controlled study. And here it is. And Lo and behold, ivermectin turns out to be super helpful. Why did they want to suppress ivermectin? I don't know. My guess is because it was cheap and readily available and very, very safe. And interestingly, ivermectin doesn't have a lot of interactions with other drugs. So you could, like I was getting my family ready I had to look up all the drugs my dad was on and I was like, well, that's crazy. None of these have drug interactions with ivermectin. Come to find out, ivermectin doesn't have a lot of drug interaction problems. So it's super safe, it happens to be effective, and it's cheap. Well, the FDA can't emergency authorize any drug when there are known effective therapeutics for the condition. So we couldn't have ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine being known as safe and effective therapeutics because then they couldn't EUA the vaccines. So that's also very interesting. So they closed the gym, they told you to stay home. Everybody gained weight or most did. Some people got in the best shape of their lives. I wanna high five you if you did. I, I too got in great shape and I wanna applaud everyone who actually took action and said, you know what, it, I'm not going to die I'm going to get my shit together and I think that that is really I want to applaud you there's only 20% of us who didn't receive at least one COVID shot so for the 20% of us who didn't and and we got in shape and took our health into our own hands high five you are my peeps I wanted to share something though about some of the folks who might not be able to do that, and that would be the elderly. Why did we not protect the elderly? What we did was basically a slow letter rip method, especially here in Oregon. It was a slow letter rip method. And it it breaks my heart because we should have been protecting the elderly for sure. Um, it, the next group that would need the most protection, again, would be that obese, inflamed group. But unfortunately, they make up the bulk of our population at this point. So there's really no way to do that. Otherwise, like the bulk of humans would be staying home. Um, but they could have been educated by the public health authorities. They could have been educated to know that upon starting some of these lifestyle management Simple, simple, simple actions like going for walks and not eating a bunch of sugar, <laughs> not drinking soda um, and getting some weight training in, getting some sun, making sure you double down on your sleep. All the things I've been talking about that their risks would start to decline very rapidly. But no, they, they missed that boat. So I, it, it's really confusing to me why we did what we did to our elders We had the Great Barrington Declaration come out early that was very controversial and it laid out how we should protect our most vulnerable in our population, but that got poo-pooed and shut down and censored as well. And it was just this slow, drug-out, letter-writ method. And it was really devastating to watch. And I think we lost, I don't think, I know, we lost, and again, this is my opinion, we lost hundreds of thousands more people than needed to die Because of the way that this was all handled, this is a complete travesty in my opinion. I think if we would have just let her rip and protected our most vulnerable, this would have been over and done by summer of 2020. But here we are in 2022 summer, and uh, it's still, it's still a thing. Even though good old President Biden said yesterday that the pandemic is over, but if that were true, we wouldn't be looking at these ridiculous vaccine mandates that are happening everywhere and people are still losing their jobs. And we are crippling our military with it, um, with these these uh, layoffs. It's horrendous. And I think we're gonna greatly, really greatly uh, have some repercussions that we regret from all of this. Okay, but I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna close. Old folks, 2019 was a notoriously mild flu year, influenza. Influenza takes out a percentage of the elderly population every year across the planet. The sad term for it is called dry kindling. And these are folks that are just sort of they're sitting ducks, right? They're they're elderly, they're frail. Frailty, many, many studies have shown that frailty, and that is the sarcopenia I spoke of from low muscle mass. Frailty is probably, if you wanna really boil it down to one thing, I think frailty coupled with inflammation is probably the biggest risk factor for dying of any virus. And we didn't need COVID to tell us that. That's that's the biggest risk factor of dying of anything. And so as we age, we become more frail. Um, we had a lot of dry kindling sitting around in 2020, early 2020. So when COVID hit, it had more people that it could kill. Had we had a more robust flu season prior, that winter prior, we wouldn't have seen such high death rates, I don't think, because we wouldn't have had as many people on the planet. They Their time was probably up the prior winter, and yet they were still here. And so, and I won't even get into what we did in the old folks' homes in this country. That, from what I've understood, that was just... Horrendous, and I can't think about it. And I don't want to think about what we've done to children either. It's terrible. It's crimes against humanity. This whole thing was mismanaged. I think that the governors, like the governor of my state of Oregon and several other governors, are responsible for perpetuating the nonsense and the lack of scientists, uh, scientific validity behind what they were proposing. Uh, we had I have piles and piles and piles of studies throughout this entire pandemic that I would have been happy to share with any of them. And I don't understand who was making all of the rules, but it wasn't clearly wasn't working. And the plan clearly has not worked. The vaccine is not working. Um, it's always been leaky. It has never been shown to actually stop infection or transmission. And it was released upon the public based on about, if my math is right, about 15 humans. And now the booster, the new variant booster has been released. And if you didn't know, that was based on eight mice and we don't have any clinical data beyond that. Mice, no human studies mice, and they're releasing the booster. And we're doing this to our children as well. So that's my two cents, that's all my opinion. So anybody who wants to come at me, that's my opinion. I'm allowed to my opinion. So far as I know, we live in America where the First Amendment stands. This entire episode has been my opinion, and these are my thoughts. Some of this was my hypothesis that came true, and I think everybody's just pissed because I was right, but I am not happy to have been right about any of this. This has been something I wish I had never seen in my lifetime, and I really wish I didn't know what I knew throughout because it was devastating to watch in real time. But I love you all for being here and I love all of you who are true freedom fighters. I'll say this, if you are a true freedom fighter for medical autonomy, please stop eating these food. Stop drinking their soda. Stop eating their fast food. Stop eating their junk food. Stop being a little carb addict and eating all of their packaged snacks. Stop going to Trader Joe's and eating massive amounts of snacks. All of these companies are in bed together and they're Agenda is to keep you as a client forever and big pharma's in bed with big food to keep you forever a customer. The only way out of this is to that bow out of it gracefully. Learn to eat foods that are less packaged. I'm telling you there's going to be a food shortage and you're regretfully going to have to convert at some point. So convert now. Get used to not having to go to a grocery store. Get used to sourcing your food from local farmers, um, local ranchers, and learn to eat one ingredient foods very simply from the earth and stop being hooked on these packaged, highly processed refined carbohydrates and sodas, they don't have to disclose all of the chemicals they put in there. If they're if the chemicals are not in high enough amounts, they don't have to disclose it. But I'm telling you, if any of you who've ever been addicted to diet Coke or diet soda, or um, even shoot Lay's potato chips, I swear there's crack in there. There's something in these products that they are not disclosing that are hijacking your dopamine system and making you addicted to these foods. So The best strategy and the best rebellion is to opt out of these things. Don't call yourself a freedom fighter if you're eating at McDonald's every day. Step up, be bigger than that. I've got lots of resources for you guys. This podcast, there's tons of episodes. You can head over to my Substack and check out. There's lots of free blog posts, but there's also paid blog posts. It's super inexpensive. I've got All kinds of options for you to learn more and to educate yourself around all of this so that you can be truly medically autonomous. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast player, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at drtina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2 as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. condition they have and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.